Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of My JavaScript Story. This week, we're talking to Carl Mungazi. Carl, do you want to say hello? Hey, how are you doing? Doing all right. Now, we had you on the show back in November. Uh, yes. We talked about reading code, which is an awesome topic. And uh, yeah, this, this show is more about your story, your journey into code, uh, how you learned, what you learned, why you're... Um, may be well known, you know, if you're speaking or writing open source or anything like that. Why don't you just give us a real quick overview of who you are and what you do, and then we'll kind of get in from there. Yeah, sure thing. So yeah, yeah my name is Carl Mugazi. Um I'm a front-end developer at Lime Jump, which is in a startup based in London. And basically, we are in the energy industry. So what we do is we have a platform which um, helps us to manage um, assets such as uh, solar farms, wind farms, batteries, etc., on behalf of our clients. And with these assets, we basically are able to um, manage and sell power onto the grid here in the UK. Cool. This episode is sponsored by Sentry.io. Recently, I came across a great tool for tracking and monitoring problems in my apps. Then I asked them if they wanted to sponsor the show and allow me to share my experience with you. Sentry provides a terrific interface for keeping track of what's going on with my app. It also tracks releases so I can tell if what I deployed makes things better or worse. They give full stack traces and as much information as possible about the situation when the error occurred to help you track down the errors. Plus, one thing I love, you can customize the context provided by Sentry. So, if you're looking for specific information about the request, you can provide it. It automatically scrubs passwords and secure information, and you can customize the scrubbing as well. Finally, it has a user feedback system built in that you can use to get information from your users. Oh, and I also love that they support open source to the point where they actually open source Sentry if you want to self-host it. Use the code devchat at sentry.io to get two months free on Sentry's small plan. That's code devchat at sentry.io. And uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm curious as we get into this, I, I guess we'll just start at the beginning. How did you get into programming? Yeah, so um, I started learning how to program, I would say, 25th, I think end of 2014, beginning of 2015. And at the time, I was a journalist um, working in Luton, which is where I live. Um, it's basically mm -hmm. about 40 minutes from London. Um, so I was working locally as a journalist, and um, at that stage, I had been doing that for about, I think, about three to four years. Okay. And um, I came across a uh, a tool which had been built by some devs at the Guardian. So I think mm -hmm. one of the guys was a developer and the other was a journalist who learned how to program. And this tool basically was um, showing the top five news stories from a section, uh, from a cross section of UK papers. So the mm -hmm. Daily Mail, the Times, the Sun, the Guardian, etc. And I wanted to build something similar for my local area. Okay. So I could basically keep track of what was being published across um, other papers and radio stations in my area. And I um, got in touch with the guys uh, um, behind that tool. And it was a guy called, it was Matt Andrews and um, a guy called Benji Lanyardo, I think is his surname. Mm -hmm. And actually, fair enough, um, Benji, he actually ended up um, starting his own startup called Pickfair, which is a website where you can actually sell your photos as a photographer. So, yeah, so I got in touch with them 
and um, the game with some pointers. And um, I spoke to a friend of mine who was a developer. He does testing. Mm-hmm. So he basically built the backend uh, in PHP. And I learned the front end. So HTML, CSS, JavaScript. And um, yeah, that's how I kind of built my first tool. And that was the reason why I learned to code initially. Right. That, that's really cool. Now, what was the stack that you started with? So it was, yeah, so it was basically bootstrap for the CSS. Mm-hmm. And um, I painstakingly hand coded everything. No frameworks involved. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that sounds like some work. Yeah, it was interesting <laughs> to say the least because um, I remember when I managed to build the first kind of version of the user interface, I was so pleased myself. Mm-hmm. And then when I wanted to change things because obviously it wasn't built to the framework, I had to basically go and change uh, a bunch of files together. And then for deploying it, I put up on an, an FTP server so it was basically kind of a lot of manual, manual, manual um, ways right. of doing things. Yeah. And very painful, but I'm glad actually, because since then, obviously now I use things like Webpack for building up the, 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 the bundle. I use React. Um, and then you can, you can use things like, like um, Netlify for, for deploying your, for your app. And now I appreciate that more because when I started, I didn't actually end up looking at frameworks until I began working personally as a developer. Cool. So you get in, you're building stuff, you've got Bootstrap going. Um, Bootstrap's very nice. You really enjoy that. So what did you learn next? Yeah. Or did so, you get a job doing awesome, awesome Bootstrap stuff? <laughs> no. So I built it and then I, um, um, I showed it to my colleagues and some contacts in my, um, in the industry. And, that was it really. Um, I then began to kind of do research to see were there any other journalists that were also basically combining code and programming. Mm-hmm. And I came across um, the dev teams at the, at the um, Guardian, at the New York Times, at the Financial Times in the UK, the, the Times in the UK. And I thought, okay, cool. So this is a potential option for me in terms of going forward. So initially, my plan was to actually combine my journalism locally and code together. So I took the idea to my editor, and she was behind it and all for it. Mm-hmm. But then when she took it to kind of the most senior execs in the company, there wasn't really kind of a, um, a push to make it happen. So I still was learning new things about programming, trying to improve my skills, um, going to meetups. So I would go to meetups uh, in London or sometimes in Milton Keynes, um, which is like half an hour from where, from where I live. Mm-hmm. I would, um, I started doing courses on like um, Code Academy, um, Treehouse, mm-hmm. and I got to the level where I, I felt, okay, I've been pushing for this at work. Nobody seems to be wanting to actually make it happen. So let me see if I can actually try applying for, for jobs. And um, I applied for a few jobs, got a few rejections, and um, thankfully one company took a chance on me. And that was how I got my first job as a programmer. Nice. So you get in, I think we talked a little about, bit about you reading the source code for, 
Preact or no, it was Mithril. Yeah, so Mithril. My, yeah, so my first job was for an agency, kind of a small agency, and it was building e-learning courses. So it was basically would um, our clients at that time were mainly car manufacturers. So mm-hmm. whenever they brought out a new model, we'd have to create a course teaching the the staff at the dealership about the car's features and how okay. to sell that car, basically. Yeah, and um. Because the industry was is is quite um is basically quite heavy in terms of legacy applications. Mm-hmm. When I joined, there was we had some courses built with Flash, and then some courses built the really bespoke learning tool for um, Yamaha, the, the the company, and then they had um, the company had an, an a custom um, framework that they built internally to build courses for the web. So one of the first things we had to do was to rewrite that framework because the developer that had built it, he'd left and it was using CoffeeScript and uh-huh. it was built following the kind of backbone way of doing things. So me and my colleagues, we didn't really like it that much. So when we were looking for um, options, we looked at React, Angular, um, Mithril, okay. Aurelia, yeah. And that's when we then actually said, okay, we like Mithril because it's small enough that it's not, um, it's, it's quite easy to understand. And um, yeah, and when I started learning Mithril, I then came across um, areas where because I was still learning the trade, you know, l- learning how to code. Yeah. I now had a framework, which obviously frameworks are abstracting away a lot of things. So when I was when I was looking at the docs for Mithril and they're talking about components, virtual DOM, talking about a virtual node, because basically in Mithril, a component is basically an object that has a view method attached to it. So I I became frustrated because I could not understand what was going on underneath the hood. And that's how I began reading the source code as a way to kind of understand, okay, this is how they've built this tool. This is how it works. Fundamentally, all frameworks are like this. It's just a case of each framework does X, Y, and Z differently. And that's how I kind of got into reading source code and using that to kind of learn and improve and actually even share what I find as well. Hey folks, this is Charles Maxwood and I just launched my book, The Max Coder's Guide to Finding Your Dream Developer Job. It's up on Amazon. We self-published it. I would love your support. If you want to go check it out, you can find it there. The Max Coder's Guide to Finding Your Dream Developer Job. Have a good one. Max out. Cool. Yeah, so you, you, I, I just, I love all of the, you know, you learn Mithril, you learn some of these other things and you kind of pull this experience together. I'm, I'm, I'm also wondering, since you went from journalism to programming, I'm, I'm kind of curious, was that, at what point was that a deliberate thing? Because it kind of felt like you kind of yeah. stumbled into programming and then stumbled mm. into making it a career. Yeah, so I, I think it became a goal, of, a goal of mine when I realized that my current job, I couldn't actually combine journalism and coding. Mm-hmm. And I thought, okay, I looked into programming as an industry and I came across many examples of programmers who had gotten into the industry without a degree. 
and right. that gave me kind of confidence okay it's doable mm-hmm. i don't need to go to to uni and get a degree in comp sci or something similar i can actually build stuff so i built like um just like a calculator i built a tool that helps you navigate from a to b just basically like kind of toy apps that you build when you're starting out right and i then use that alongside my news aggregator as a um, portfolio when i went to interviews and that's when i was actually doing it to actually get hired so it's basically when i realized that okay i can't actually combine the two things where i am so let me just go full scale into programming because i was enjoying it a lot more than i was doing my journalism so i thought okay i if if need be i'm sure maybe somewhere down the line i could probably combine the two but let me just jump into programming full time because at that stage i'd been four years in journalism so i thought okay let me just give this a try and see where it can take me right and i think from the interview we did with you on javascript jabber it's only been a few years right that you've been full time yeah so I've only been programming full time since 2016, so I'm coming up to you. I think three and three and a bit years now. Nice. My math's correct. And you and now you want to go back to journalism, right? Oh no! Uh, so, <laughs> <laughs> I thought I would, but um, the sad thing is, since then my local paper shut down. Ah. Uh, yeah, and in that we also had other papers in the same group that also shut down. So in terms of journalism as an industry it's it's locally and regionally it's in a bad way because obviously the rise of the internet and web platforms and obviously social media etc has made it harder for for some publications to keep going so um what I've actually ended up doing was I'm now combining my writing aspect so I'm blogging a lot more now and that's how i'm getting my fix if you like as as a as a journalist i'm writing about what i'm discovering and because when i was a journalist one thing i used to do was i liked to do a lot of investigations and they usually were around the my my council locally in terms of how much money they're spending um i would try and get contacts locally to get some kind of scoops and exclusives about this or that and i basically have taken that approach of digging into a subject in depth and then writing about it to programming so currently it just so happens that my focus right now has been um because i work with react at work um i've been digging into react source code and mm-hmm. writing about what i find um as well as trying to kind of um uh what what was break down um the tools that are used so like testing frameworks module bundlers trying to understand okay that conceptually what are the building blocks that are being used to then build this fully fledged tool that can be used to build um applications that can be deployed to many people right so how did you end up at lime jump yeah so So after so in my first, in my first job I spent I think I think I was just there for a little over a year and then I um began looking around and seeing what other things I could do um in terms of uh trying to stretch myself 
so then I started working for a startup in uh, in London, and um, it was a fintech startup, and they built a tool that was basically helping banks to map the the data internally in a better way. I was there for a few months because sadly they ended up letting the whole tech team go as well as the dev team. No, so the, oh the wow! Tech, yeah, the design and my team go because they lost the contract. Mm-hmm. And then after that, I moved to a um, IoT startup. And um, the products we had there was basically, we helped um, uh, companies that were manufacturing bags with trackers or um, bags or watches with trackers. We helped them basically onboard new customers by providing a SIM card. And then they could sign into our platform and manage their plans, etc. And I was there for like a year and a bit as well. And uh, so I've been at Lime Jump since April last year. Nice. So almost a year. Yeah, exactly. So uh, yeah, I've been a year in a few months actually. Yeah. Yep. So one thing that I'm curious as we kind of follow through your story, do you have any advice for people who are in a career track that's not development that might be listening to this and thinking that they might want to make that leap? Yeah, I think the thing that worked for me was having a project in mind. So I learned how to code because I wanted to build a tool. And what that meant for me was when I came across times when things were difficult to understand and I struggled with the concept or a particular tool, because I wanted to build this tool so badly, I was willing to push through. And that was what was helping me. That was my motivation because I had an end goal as opposed to just learning without having a, an idea in mind. I think it's probably hard to just keep learning and learning because you don't know when the end point is, right? You don't know when you're finished. Right. Yeah. So it's harder to actually push through because you're thinking, okay, potentially this could be, good, this could be going forever. So I think the first thing is decide, look around you, work out, a an issue you have or a problem you have which you think can be solved by technology and then learn the tools that can help you solve that problem so don't worry maybe too much about should i learn back end or front end should i learn javascript or ruby just think about okay this is my problem break down what the steps are and then have a look around online to see okay have other people solved that problem or part of it and how and what, and what they're used and learn that because once you've learned a language or a framework, the next one is easier to pick up because you've, you've kind of got a, a context that you're coming from. I think that for me would be the yeah. biggest thing I would say to people that that's the, the thing that I find helping the most. And once you do that, I think the next thing is, especially if you're like me and you haven't studied computer science as, as a degree, I know I'm very aware of um, areas of my knowledge where I'm lacking. Mm-hmm. And that's, part, that's partly why I've taken the approach I've taken to, instead of um, learning by looking at tutorials and building apps and learning a framework, learning a, learning a language, I've made a, an effort consciously to go as deep as I can in JavaScript mm-hmm. so that when I do then branch out to a new language, or a new tool, I've got behind me a depth of knowledge upon which to compare. Right. 
yeah, as opposed to saying, okay, I've learned some JavaScript, now I'm going to go and learn some Ruby or learn some C or Python or whatever. I feel that, um, personally for me, I, I mean, for example, recently I was looking at um, React's um, hooks and I was just doing a deep dive on the U-State um, hook. And looking at the source code, I then saw that, oh, actually, um, internally, a hook, as far as Rhett's concerned, is an object with um, mm -hmm. a few, with various items in it. And all your hooks together, they are a linked list in React. So now I've learned, okay, I know, I know conceptually what a, link, what a linked list is, but now that I've actually seen it in a tool, which I use every day, that's more powerful. So now I can learn about linked lists in the context of a tool, which I'm using every single day. And that's, yeah, it's, go ahead. You know, and I think that's been more, that's, that's powerful because it sticks a lot more and I've got a context to the noise that I've gained. One of the biggest pain points that I find as I talk to people about software is deployment. It's really interesting to have the conversations with people where it's, I don't want to deal with Docker. I don't want to deal with Kubernetes. I don't want to deal with setting up servers. I don't, you know, all of these different things. And in a lot of ways, DevOps has gotten a lot easier. And in a lot of ways, DevOps has also kind of embraced a certain amount of culture around applications, the way we build them, the way we deploy them. And I've really felt for a long time that developers need to have the conversations with DevOps or adopt some form of DevOps so that they can take control of what they're doing and really understand when things go to production, what's going on so that they can help debug the issues and fix the issues and find the issues when they go wrong and help streamline things and make things better and slicker and easier so that they'll more generally go right. So we started a podcast called Adventures in DevOps. And I pulled in one of the hosts from one of my favorite DevOps shows, Nell Shamrell Harrington from the Food Fight show. And we got things rolling there. And so this is more or less a continuation of the Food Fight show where we're talking about the things that go into DevOps. So if you're struggling with any of these operational type things, then definitely check out Adventures in DevOps. And you can find it at adventuresindevopspodcast.com. Yeah, it's, um, it's kind of what I got out of some of the, um, some of the things that I learned in college, right? Because I, I have a computer engineering degree, not computer science, but okay. I took a bunch of computer science classes and a bunch of um, hardware classes and electronics classes. And the thing that was interesting was that, yeah, once I got in and started writing code full time, what it actually did for me was, yeah, I, I got in and I saw something in Ruby when I was learning Ruby or JavaScript when I was learning JavaScript. Um, I also ended up doing some PHP, some Java, and a few other languages through the course of all this. And yeah, it was, oh, I've seen a pattern like that before. I've seen something that looks like this before. And so unless it was completely different, it took me a little while to get used to functional programming, for example. But um, yeah, you're right. I mean, most of this stuff, you know, we borrow from one language or borrow a pattern that works in one place and we put it into the other. And so if you're, if you learn well, the, the patterns and the thinking that go into something, then you can definitely take advantage of that when you're learning something new. Yeah. And especially with, with front end now where, I mean, in terms of frameworks to choose from, for example, there's a plethora of choices for 
um, for, for, for what we can use. I mean, you've got Preact, Vue, Angular, React, Aurelia. I mean, the traces mm -hmm. go on and on. And then you've got the libraries as well that go along with it. And then you've got the build tools. So when you've got such choice, it's easy to get sucked into a cycle where you only ever learn the, the, tools, you, the tools you're using at a base level or just, you just know about the APIs, but not beyond that. As opposed to, for me, I want to understand, okay, fundamentally, what is a framework actually doing? Right. So, yeah, so right now, um, I think I mentioned this in my first interview, that I've got a project where I've been basically digging into, okay, if I was to, if I was to build a basic Mojibunda, okay, how would I do that? If I was to build a basic testing library, same thing. So with the framework aspect of that, um, I'm now at the stage where I'm trying to write my first virtual DOM, virtual DOM algorithm in terms of actually updating the elements I've created. And that's basically involving me looking at, okay, there are many existing, like you've got Snap DOM, you've got Virtual DOM, and you've got other kind of simpler versions of, of a, a VDOM algorithm. So now I'm looking, okay, fundamentally, this is how these frameworks internally are comparing your old UI to a new UI. Mm -hmm. And obviously each framework performs a different level of optimizing or a different way of doing things. And, and now that I'm beginning to understand that, that's kind of changing how I think about development. Right. And how I think about, okay, if I want to build a particular application, which tool am I going to use? So now when I want to use, let's say maybe I want to use Svelte tomorrow, Angular, when I approach it, I'm now going to be asking certain questions to understand, okay, fundamentally, what's the philosophy about Angular? Why is, it, why is Angular and React different what 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 are the trade-offs and the benefits of using one or the other and i feel that makes that is powerful because it makes you as a developer kind of think more widely and yeah. more broadly and you're not wedded to one tool if need be tomorrow you could actually maybe spin up your own kind of version which is lightweight because you understand what's happening behind the scenes and behind the hood yep absolutely so what are you working on now? Are you talking about at work or in my own personal kind of development? Both. So yeah, so <clears throat> excuse me. at work we've been um, migrating an old legacy Angular application, Angular 1, to React. So that's been quite interesting um, because um, the Angular 1 application was built um, quite a while ago. Um, and we're, we're basically trying to gradually um, replace parts of it while still allowing our customers to actually use it. So we've got some pages which are actually basically iframing the old application whilst the rest of it is still in React. So that's been interesting. And um, in terms of my kind of personal things, I am still, I'm doing a lot, I'm trying to do a lot more blogging lately and kind of sharing more about what I find so like right now, for example, I'm doing a, um, a deep dive into ES6 job queues. So mm -hmm. when you use a promise in, in JavaScript, obviously it gets pushed to the job queue, which runs before the next event loop iteration and trying to kind of understand how that works and how that, that um, affects how you think about your code 
and the in terms of when your code is going to be cold and how that also feeds into the the model in javascript of asynchronous programming so that's kind of what i'm doing at the moment makes sense cool well anything else that uh, is part of your story that we should dive into here or no i think i think for me the the kind of passion i've um, developed over this journey has been to help other beginners understand that as complex and amazing as libraries and frameworks are, even the language itself, that we shouldn't be intimidated or be scared in terms of being able to actually open up the tool and take it apart and look and see, okay, how is this being built? Because fundamentally, I, I, I actually even had, I, I went to a meetup, um, um, was it, I think it was two weeks ago, and um, Michelle Westrate, the creator of MobX and Emma, gave a talk. And afterwards, I got to talk to him. And then I, I was also sharing, sharing with him about what I was doing and how and what I discovered about reading source code. And he said to me, fundamentally, most libraries are basically dealing with many edge cases. Because once you've solved the core issue, you now have to deal with this edge case, that edge case, that edge case, that edge case. And I even wrote a blog about that um, regarding Mithril when I had been um, looking into how frameworks add um, events to DOM elements. And then I got um, to speaking with one of the uh, Mithril maintainers. And he was saying to me that, yeah, basically the reason why we did the events this way is because we have to think about this edge case or in the edge case as well. So, you know, being able to actually see that, okay, when I take a tool and I'm using it, the, the um, maintainers behind it, they are using the same language I'm using as well, albeit at a more complex level. And they're having to try and um, deal with many edge cases but fundamentally they're using objects, they're using functions, they're using strings, they're using booleans, they're using all these patterns, which I also know about. And I think that, that for me, when, I, when that became apparent to me, that really empowered me and made, and, and, and made me feel like, okay, you know what? If I actually work hard enough and if I actually also invest time to learn how they're doing it as well, I can actually be able to be in a situation where maybe one day, I could build my own tool and open source it because fundamentally what they're doing and what I'm doing, I, it's not, it's not that big a golf difference. It's basically the case of me being able to know how they, how they, how they did it and finding a tool that maybe I want to put myself so I can maybe get that level as well. Cool. All right. Well, let's go ahead and do some picks. You have some picks for us. Um, so, um, I, um, I would like to actually pick the React DevTools because today I was profiling one of the apps that we're using at work. And um, the, the DevTools have a, have a cool thing where basically you can record the lifecycle of your, of your React application. And you can actually then see which components are rendering and at what stage. And it's really good because it helps you actually discover that actually maybe sometimes you're actually doing more work than you should be. So I would like to pick that definitely. And I think, again, I would like to pick any, any library or framework you're using. You know, take a method from that library 
and actually follow what happens when you call it and you'd be surprised with what you see. Nice. Um, I'm going to throw in some picks of my own. Um, I think I've already picked the workshops, so I'm not going to plug them here. Um, if you want to go check out the workshops that I'm putting on, you can go find them at devchat.tv slash workshops. Um, instead, what I think I'm going to do is I'm going to pick um, a couple of the marketing tools that I've been using lately. Um, one of them is Gmelius. It's G-M-E-L-I-U-S. Uh, it's a tool that was actually pointed out to me on the freelancer show. And holy cow, is that thing useful. Um, I was using HubSpot before as a CRM. And it's expensive and it doesn't do everything I want. And it has some limitations that are frankly put annoying. Um, and this, it, yeah, it has some limitations too. It's not the perfect tool, um, but it's, it's pretty darn nice. So I'm going to pick that. And then I'm also going to shout out quickly. Um, I'm going to be starting a new show soon. Um, it's actually a show I was doing on YouTube before and I'll probably keep doing it there, but I'll also be doing it here. Um, Come to think of it, I'm starting two of them. Anyway, the first one is the DevRev, and I'm going to be talking about basically what it, what you need to know and do in order to succeed as a software developer. Um, I hear a lot of people putting stuff out there that are, you know, it, it convinces people that, you know, they're victimized, which they may be, but they're victimized and there's nothing they can do about it. And I just don't believe that there's nothing you can do about it. Um, you know, you can go out and take control of your career, and I'm just going to show people how to do that. Um, the other one is called marketing via podcasts. Um, and the initials MVP are not an accident. Um, I just want to help people figure out how to make uh, podcasts the MVP of their marketing plan. And so I'm going to be uh, diving into that too. So, um, if you're interested in either of those, um, go check them out. Um, the DevRev I think is at thedevrev.com and, um, marketing via podcast is going to be at marketing via podcast.com. Um, so go check those out. And uh, yeah, that's what I've got. Uh, one more question for you, Carl, if people want to yeah. find you online and connect with you, how do they do that? Yeah, sure thing. Um, so you can go to my website, which is carlmungazi.com. So that's C-A-R-L-M-U-N-G-A-Z-I.com. And same thing with Twitter at carlmungazi. Um, yeah, so Twitter is the best place to find me in terms of getting in touch with me. And my website is also the best place to find in terms of the links, in terms of my writing and everything else. All right, cool. Awesome. Well, Thank folks, you. yeah, we'll wrap this one up. We'll have another one next week. And in the meantime, Max out. Cheers. Thank you. Take care. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.